Happy Sabbath, everybody. Good to see you. Um, this hopefully won't be too long, but we will see how things develop and we will see how things go. Um, let's have a prayer and we'll begin. Dear Lord, we thank you for your love, kindness and mercy. You've been so good to us. Please may you be with us now as we look into your word for a moment. Speak to our hearts and please transform our lives. Reclaiming the promise of Luke 11 verse 13, which says, if ye then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more should your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? Please may you be with us, help us, guide us and lead us. These things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, unfortunately, I've got a habit of waffling on. So what I'm gonna do this morning, afternoon, morning, afternoon, it's afternoon. What I'm gonna do this afternoon is tell you exactly what I'm saying in one sentence. So if you missed the whole sermon, you'll get what I'm trying to say in the one sentence. This is the sentence, I'm gonna read it to you. It's my conviction and my belief that as individuals, as families, as youth, as churches, and as a conference that by God's grace, we can come out stronger in the Lord at the back of COVID-19, COVID-19, than when we first met it. Let me say it again. It's my understanding, my belief, that as youth, as families, as individuals, as churches, and as a conference, by God's grace, we can come out stronger in the Lord at the back of COVID-19 than when we first went into it. I had a conversation with my friend, Shisha, about two weeks ago, about two weeks ago. And um, he said something to me, which I just, I've been thinking about since then, it just got me. He said, Sam, have you noticed the whole world is using Zoom when really we should be on Skype. But Skype dropped the ball. I don't know if you remember Skype. Um, I can't, obviously I can't see your hands. I don't, I don't know why I'm raising mine, but here we are. I don't know if you, I don't know if you, if you remember Skype. If COVID-19 had taken place in 2011, everybody would have been using Skype. And really and truly, if you think about it, Skype was well-placed to deal with or be the platform that most of us should be on right now, but everyone's using Zoom. If you look at Zoom's, what they're called again, stocks, everything seems to be going up. If you look at Zoom's um, revenue, everything seems to be going up. Zoom just seems to be popping off. And um, I haven't heard anybody talking about Skype person. Um, I read an article um, not too long ago. It was saying that the amount of users Zoom has right now compared to the amount of users Zoom had in the whole of 2019. So if you just look at from the beginning of 2020 to right now, the amount of users that Zoom has is more than the whole time that they had during 2019. Zoom in the middle of the crisis seems to have taken off and some other companies don't seem to have, I don't know, they don't seem to be, they seem to be struggling more than thriving. If you look online, I, I looked online and I was looking at different companies, seeing, you know, how are they doing? How are they faring? 
some companies seem to be really struggling in the crisis and other companies seem to be really thriving in the crisis. Now, when you read the different narratives behind each company's story about how they're responding to the COVID-19 crisis, there's a common element, there's a common thread that comes up over and over and over again. Common theme, everyone's saying they were not able to predict what was going to happen come February 2020. Like when they were in January, they didn't foresee February. And when they were in February, they couldn't foresee March. And when they've been in March, we've just left March now, they've not been able to predict what's going to take place in April. And so um, the thriving or the striving experience of some of these companies haven't necessarily been due to the foresight of the companies, but the way the cookies crumbled. The God of the Bible has told us many things from way before they took place that we're seeing take place right now. And there's some principles that God gives us that if we practice them, will help us in every circumstance that life finds us in. Matthew chapter 24 is a very familiar chapter to many of us. And in Matthew chapter 24, um, it happens just after Matthew chapter 23, Jesus leaves the temple. And when Jesus leaves the temple at the end of Matthew chapter 23, he tells whoever he's speaking to that your house has been left to you desolate. Previous in his ministry, Jesus has said that, you know, this is his father's house and that his father's house should be a place of prayer. But now he's got to a stage or things have got to a stage where he's recognized that the people that are running the show want it to be their house. They don't want it to be his father's house. So he's told them, fair enough, then you can have it. So he's gone to the Mount of Olives. He's with his disciples. Um, he's weeping. He's, he's looking over Jerusalem. He's thinking about what's taking place. He's, He's, he said these words, you know, your house has been left to you desolate. And he tells the disciples, you know, disciples, you see the temple. He's looking over the temple. You see the temple. The whole thing is going to be destroyed. In the disciples' mind, this is a monumentous question. Like, destroyed? What do you mean by destroyed? And so they want to find out some more information. They're not quite sure what he's saying. And so the disciples decide to ask Jesus, when are these things going to happen? Now, in the disciples' mind, um, they're speaking about one subject. And in speaking about one subject, they think, they ask two questions on what they think is one subject. I'm going to read to you the two questions. They're found in Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3. And he sat upon the Mount of Olives, and the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Okay. Tell us, when shall these things be? Question mark. And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Question mark. Now, in the first question, where it says, Tell us, when shall these things be? 
For these things that they're referring to here, they're talking about when's the destruction of Jerusalem? When's the destruction of the temple? Because that's what Jesus has just referred to. Now, in their mind, the destruction of the temple, the destruction of Jerusalem is such a monumentous event that that must mean it's the end of the world. And so they ask the next question um, in verse three, and what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? Now, obviously, we know the disciples got the two things confused because Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70 and we're still living in the world now. So obviously the end of the world hasn't happened. They ask two questions on two different things. But what Jesus does is, is that he answers the two questions in one way. And in the one answer, he addresses the two questions. So he describes in Matthew chapter 24, the destruction of Jerusalem. And in describing the destruction of Jerusalem, he uses the description, the destruction of Jerusalem as an analogy, as a metaphor, as a prophetic type of what the end of the world is going to look like. So he describes the destruction of Jerusalem and the events surrounding that particular situation. And he uses that situation as a metaphor as to what's going to happen at the end of the world. He describes certain things. He describes earthquakes and famines and pestilences and diseases and things taking place in diverse places and wars and rumors of wars. And if you look around, we all know that we can see some of these things right now. And Jesus calls them the beginning of sorrows. What we often do, though, is oftentimes I've found in my own experience is that when we look at this chapter, stay with me, when we look at this chapter, we stop the story of Jesus addressing the two questions, the destruction of Jerusalem and what's going to happen at the end of the world in Matthew chapter 24. But we all know that the Bible is not originally written in English. The Bible is originally written in Greek. And in the Greek, there's no chapter divisions between the, the various chapters. It's just one thing. So you've got to find context to find when one thing finishes and, and another thing finishes. But in Matthew chapter 24, there's no space or no breath or, or whatever it is between chapter 24 and chapter 25. So actually, in chapter 25, Jesus is continuing to answer the question of what's the signs of the times? Stay with me. In Matthew chapter 24, he describes some of the things that's going on in the political realm, some things that's going on in the climate. He describes some things that's going on in the religious realm, in the spiritual realm. And in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus takes the lens, zooms it out. He, no, no, he zoomed it out. What is he? Pan. Zoom, I don't know what the, I'm not, I don't do cameras. So anyway, he zooms in, not so much on what's going on out there, but he zooms in on what's going on in here. He takes a look at the signs of the times in the church. The signs of the times in the church. And he tells three parables, three parables. I'm so thankful for scripture says his um, special item. Um, you saw some, some lamps, well, candles, but we'll call them lamps. And, and they were talking about, um, well, you know what they were talking about. So anyway, he tells three parables that they get on with it. The first parable that he tells is the parable of the virgins. We know this. 
The next parable that he tells is the parable of the talents. And the third parable that Jesus tells is the parable of the sheeps and the goats. Now, you know that Jesus is addressing the signs of the times in these parables of, of, of people that are living at the last days of our history in these parables because of how he ends each parable. And um, in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 25, you see how he's ending the parable of the virgins. He says, watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. This parable is addressed to people who don't know who, but who might be around when Jesus comes. Then with the parable of the talents, it ends in chapter, in verse 30. Verse 30, which says, And cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That phrase, weeping and gnashing of teeth, I looked it up. I could only find it four times in the New Testament. And the four times that it mentions, without going into too much detail, basically refers to a space, to a situation that's not heaven. It's dealing with the end of things. The end of things. And the third parable ends in verse 46. And it says, And these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, remember what I said. The statement that I'm dealing with in this sermon is this. Is that I believe, though we're going through what seems to be circumstances that we have never been through before. Um, though we're in a particular, what some people have called a crisis. I believe that by God's grace, as individuals, as families, as various collectives, as churches, as youth groups, as conferences, as different communities, we can grow and even come out by the grace of God stronger in the Lord at the back end of this crisis than we were at the front end of this crisis. Like COVID-19 is here and we face it here at one stage, but we can come out here on a different stage. Point number one. Now, obviously, we can't go through all the parables because each parable could be a sermon series in and of themselves. So um, we won't do that. But what we will do is do one point from each parable. Parable number one takes you to a wedding. I've been to many weddings in the conference. I've been to many weddings in my life. I've been to weddings abroad. I've been to many weddings. I've been to many weddings. And in all the weddings that I've been to, you know, and I've done various roles in many weddings, actually. I've emceed, I've, I've done, I've been an usher, I've just been a guest. And I've seen weddings from different perspectives. I've seen weddings from different angles. I've seen weddings from different viewpoints. Like when you're in the mix of the organization of something or you're having to do something or you're in the background, you see weddings kind of differently. And there's a common factor that I've seen in most weddings that I've been to. Usually, most likely, the groom is there before the bride. There's only been one wedding that I've been to where the groom happened to appear after the bride. And I won't tell you the drama that happened surrounding that situation on the live stream. Needless to say, if you appear after the bride, you know there's drama. So anyway, in this story, this parable that Jesus tells, the bridegroom, the man in the story is delayed. He's delayed. 
He's delayed to the point where all the bridesmaids fall asleep. And then the cry goes out, the shout goes out, the bridegroom's coming. So people, they wake up and they ready themselves. And, and, and each of the, bride, the bridemaids, they had these old school lamps which you put oil in. And then you, you lit the oil somehow and then um, that lit up the lamp and then you could carry that around. And anyway, everyone's oil burnt out whilst they were sleeping. They've woken up and as they've woken up, um, some have carried some extra oil in case their lamps went out. And others just came with their lamps. Five came with extra oil. Five came with just their lamps. Five were thinking ahead. Five were just living in the moment. Five were prudent. Five just came with the lamps. Five were wise and five were foolish. Okay, let's go. So the five foolish ones turned to the five wise ones and they asked a question. The question was this, can you give us some of your oil? The five wise ones turned to the foolish ones and say, no, 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 no. You've got to go and get some of your own. So they've got to go and get some of their own. In the meantime, they've taken too long. And the bride party has moved on and now the five foolish ones, they're too late. They can't get into the wedding. Point number one is this. Whilst you've got time, it's incumbent upon us as people and as individuals to make sure we've got some extra oil. Now, I know you've heard that before, and I know it's cliche, get extra oil, and have make sure there's oil in your laps, but just... Bear with me for a moment as we go through. Um, Zechariah, in Zechariah chapter four, he's got a dream. He's having a dream. He's having a dream. Actually, he's woken up, sorry. And um, he has a vision. And he sees these lampstands. He sees these lampstands. And um, God's speaking to him. And he's observing the lampstands. And, and, and basically, God says to him, listen, the thing that's keeping the light aflame, it's not might, it's not power but it's by my spirit. And so we see then that the thing that's put into the lamp to keep it aflame is usually oil, but oil in this situation represents the Holy Spirit. Whilst there's time, whilst there's earthquakes and there's crises and there's famines and there's pestilences and there's COVID-19s, um, Jesus says all these things will be taking place in Matthew chapter 24, but in Matthew chapter 25, he's also asking the question of the signs of the times. And one of the signs of the times is, is that some people will be preparing to have extra oil and some people won't be preparing to have extra oil. Whilst there's time, it's incumbent on us to ensure that we get some extra oil. How does one experience or enter into the experience of those who had this extra portion of the Holy Spirit. We don't have time to unpack that right now, but it basically goes down to, or if I could boil it down in one sentence, it would be probably one of my favorite Bible verses, Luke 11 verse 13, which says, if ye then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? Basically, Jesus is saying this, if you want extra oil, you've got to ask. 
many of us have got more time than we used to have. My suggestion would be, in this time that you've got, spend some time asking the Lord for extra oil. Point two. Now you're going to see how point one feeds into point two and point three. So just stay with me. Point two. Point two. I was in the U.S. in January. I was in America in January. And um, whilst I was there, I was talking to this young guy, Adventist guy, who works for J.P. Morgan. Now, if you don't know what J.P. Morgan is, it's basically, um, I think, the world's sixth largest bank and America's largest bank. They've got total assets of $2.6 trillion. Trillion dollars. Talking to this young guy who works for this company. Um, when I say trillion, that's not billion or million, that's trillion. So this is big time. So I'm speaking to him, he, this young man, he worked in the investment section of the company and he worked in a certain section, I can't remember exactly what he was saying, of the investment part. And I just thought, let me just entertain a conversation with this guy, see what he's saying. Let me see where this conversation goes. So I asked him a question just to see, you know, what's going on. I said, how much money would I need to say if I was to approach you, phone you up, JP Morgan, how much money would I need to invest with you? This is what he turns to me and says, $250,000. It was one of those conversations where you kind of just laugh, but you keep the conversation moving because both he and I knew that what time it was with regards to me and $250,000. But in the Bible in parable two, there's a man in there who's got more than JP Morgan money. And he decides that, you know what? I've got some errands to run elsewhere but I want to do some investing. So he calls his employees together. He calls his employees together and he gives one employee 10, 10, 10 talents. The Bible uses this word talents. He gives one employee 10 talents. He, he gives another employee, um, oh, sorry, yeah, two talents. And he, he gives another employee um, just one talent. Oh, sorry, five talents, my bad. And then he gives the, other, the last employee one talent. Now, what happens is this. He goes on his journey. He's expecting these guys to do something with the money. And they each do. The, the two individuals that had the more talents or, or more of the talents, and you see this in Matthew chapter 25, this is the second parable. And um, the two individuals who have more talents, they do something very interesting. The Bible says that they trade on their talents. We're going to unpack that in the moment. The last individual, he buries his talent. Mr. J.P. Morgan comes back, not the J.P. Morgan in real life, but the owner in the story. He comes back and he wants to know what's going on with the money. What's going on with the money? What have you done with the talents that I've given to you? So he comes and um, as he's there, the guy with the five talents has traded them. Now he's got 10. The guy with the two talents has traded them. Now he's got four. But the guy with the one talent has taken that talent and buried it in the ground. Now, remember, this is one of the signs of the times. Earthquakes are signs of the times. COVID-19 could be looked at and interpreted as a sign of the time. But also, being a believer in Jesus Christ, but burying your talent is a sign of the time. 
things that we need to do if we're going to grow in the crisis. Number one, we need to ask for extra oil. Number two is we need to work our talents. Work our talents. Work our talents. However small your talent is, God's got a place for it. Someone's saying to me, but Sam, how do I work my talent? Um, I don't even know what my talent is. You know, I've only started really coming to grips with this idea of working your talents and your abilities where you are. It's kind of like a new revelation to me, something kind of a recent thing for me. So, you know, in the story of David, David's, um, he's looking after sheep. He's looking after sheep. He's been, he's been, he's been there in his dad's house. And whilst he's been in his dad's house, um, he's been sent as a shepherd. And that's the duty that's been presented to him at that time. And whilst he's doing that, he's doing his best. He's having to fight up wild animals. The Bible specifically mentions a lion and a bear. Um, he's using his talents. He's using his talents to do the duty, the task that's been presented to him at that moment in time. And whilst he's doing that, um, something happens. The Israelites, they're now in battle with the Philistines. His dad sends him down to, to deal or to help give his brother some bread. He ends up there right at the time where Goliath is running his mouth. And so David sees what's going on. He, he starts asking some questions. And one situation leads to another. He ends up in front of, in front of um, King Saul. And, and King Saul's like, you know, well, this guy's been fighting since he was a child. Who are you to now, you know, come with, you want to fight Goliath? I've got this. 1 Samuel 17 here. And in 1 Samuel chapter 17, um, verses 33 to 35, we see what Saul's saying. It says, And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock and I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. Check it. David's looking after his father's sheep on a random Tuesday evening. Whilst he's doing that, a lion shows up and he decides to use his talents to, to deal with the lion. Then another day on a random Sunday morning, a bear shows up and he decides to use his talents to deal with the bear. Then, I don't know, on a random next month, on a January, in, I don't know what day it is, it's Philistine, Goliath, Israelite battle time. Goliath's there running his mouth. He's, he's talking to Saul. And what's happened is, is that David working his talents in previous duties has helped him to prepare to work his talents in future duties. Stay with me. As you use your talents now, in the situation of life that you find yourself in, and you do your best in the work that lies nearest. Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 says this, 
Um, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. As you do your best in the work that lies nearest, you work on a principle of addition. You're doing two plus two. You're doing three times three. That's what you're doing with your, with your talents. You're just doing your best in the work that lies nearest. But as you do your best in the work that lies nearest, you're working on addition, but in the background, God is working on the plan of multiplication. If you don't believe me, look at the story of Joseph. Joseph's in his father's house looking after his father's house. I've used this story so many times, but it's still so true. He's in his father's house looking after his father's house. And after he's looking after his father's house, something happens. He's sold as a slave. He ends up in Potiphar's house and he has to look after Potiphar's house. Well, he learned how to look after houses in his dad's house. So he let those talents there. Now he's looking after Potiphar's house. So those talents that he used previously in previous duties, he's ending up having to use in present duties. Whilst he's in Potiphar's house, he becomes the manager. He learns new talents. Then all of a sudden he ends up in prison. In prison, he becomes the manager of the prison. But where did Joseph learn to become the manager of the prison? He learned that when he was doing his best in his previous duty. And so on trading on his talents, in doing the best and the work that lies nearest, Joseph was becoming more and more of the man that God would have him to be. Now, trading on your talents doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be rich. Trading on your talents doesn't necessarily mean that all of a sudden, you know, you're going to be the prime minister of the country. But what it does mean is that God's got something specific for you to do. And if you do the best that you can do in the situation that you're in, God has got bigger things for you. That's what it means. Now, bigger doesn't mean better in the world's sight, but it means bigger in God's sight. And so, if we're going to come out stronger after the crisis, the first thing we need to be doing is asking for extra oil. But the second thing we need to be doing is working our talents in the situation that we're in. I've got a friend who's recently been furloughed. He's been furloughed. I know some people who who, 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 who are worried about maybe their teachers are going to be choosing um, or, or sending up, telling them they're going to be getting their, their GCCs from their predicted grades. Um, whatever situation that you're in, some people have got to carry on work. Whatever situation that you're in, know this. Do your best in the work that lies nearest. I don't know what God's plan is, but God knows what God's plan is. And as you work in God's plan, and as God's plan works for you, and you just do your best, God will then take the things which you think are working against you and turn them around so that they're working for you. I've seen that in my own life. So if you're going to come out stronger, ask for oil. But as you ask for oil and you live a life that's lived in the spirit, work your talents. That's number two. Number three. Now, where I am, in Wolverhampton, it seems like the shops aren't as mad as they used to be. Aren't as mad as they used to be. Um, previously, toilet roll issue. Previously, it seemed like if you went to the shop, um, it was just a madness. Um, people were just kind of moving out of fear. People were, 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 were worried about themselves and their families. They were looking out 
for, for themselves, really. They were looking out for self was the motive. Self was the motive. And you can't blame people to a certain degree, but some people took it too far and they were just being selfish. And other people were being selfish in other ways. So they weren't necessarily worried about um, toilet paper, but they weren't taking social distancing seriously. So I know the police had to shut down a place not too far from me. They had to shut down a barbecue that people were running. Um, and people have just been moving in ways where they've been thinking about um, themselves. Well, in parable number three, Jesus tells this parable of a shepherd who's got some sheep and some goats. Some sheep and some goats. And the shepherd decides to separate the sheep and to separate the goats. Now, there was one characteristic, characteristic that the sheep had that the goats didn't have. Here we go. The sheep, this is what the shepherd says to the sheep. The shepherd says, when I was hungry, you fed me. This is what the shepherd says to the sheep. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I didn't have any shelter, you took me in. Um, when I didn't have any clothes and I was naked, you gave me clothes. Um, when I was in prison, needed someone to visit me, you visited me. This is what the shepherd said to the sheep. Um, but to the goats, the shepherd says, when these things were taking place in my life as the shepherd, you didn't work, you just simply went there to help me out. Point number three is a simple one. If we're going to come out better after the crisis, if we're going to grow as individuals in the crisis, if we're going to be better off as people, if we're going to be better off as youth, if we're going to be better off as churches, if we're going to be better off as conferences, this is what Jesus Christ says. He says, take the focus off yourself and try to help somebody else. Make some time, this is point number three, to help somebody else. I was, last week I was in the NEC Youth Book Club meeting that they're having at eight o'clock on Thursdays. You should join it if you can. Currently they're in the Desire of Ages. And something that I read, something that I read, which I think, um, or something that someone quoted, which I think really helped me, I'm gonna read it to you now was this, Desire of Ages, page 20, there is nothing save the selfish heart of man that lives unto itself. Listen carefully. No bird that cleaves the air, no animal that moves upon the ground, no, but ministers to some other life. There is no leaf of the forest or lowly blade of the grass, but has its ministry. Every tree and shrub and leaf pours forth the elements of life without which neither man without which neither man nor animal could live and man and animal in turn minister to the life or tree and shrub and leaf and the flowers breathe fragrance and unfold their beauty and blessing to the world the sun sheds its light to gladden a thousand worlds the ocean itself the the source of all our springs and fountains receives the streams from every land, but takes to give. The mists ascending from its bosom fall in showers to water the earth that it may bring forth and bud. Basically what Ellen White was saying is, is that the whole planet is living 
It's receiving to give. Point number three is this. It's ask for some oil, the Holy Spirit, to help you with your talents, the gifts that you have, so that you can be a blessing to others. And if we do those three, I can guarantee you we'll come out stronger from the crisis than when we went into it. Not because we're all powerful, not because we're something great, but because we're activating and we're moving in a life filled with the spirit. I don't know what your plans were for this year. I know that some of my plans are planning to be abroad, planning to do some things, planning to be working on peace. I have some plans that just, that just haven't worked out. I was talking to one of my work colleagues. She's not watching this song. I'm sure she won't mind, I won't mention the name. I was talking to one of my work colleagues this week and for some reason, anyway, whatever. She's breaking, breaking down to me. She's been having some issues with different things. Um, she's coming under pressure from her parents to get into a relationship, to get married. You know how it is, how parents can be. And um, she's been in some relationships before that haven't worked out. And she's tried this person, tried that person. She's had some good times, but she's had some bad times. And um, so now her parents have been like, you know, she's, she's from a different cultural background. And now her parents have been like to me, and her parents have been like, you know, you know, you've tried your way. You've tried your way. Why don't you try my way? So she thought, you know what? Let me give it a shot. Let me do the arranged marriage thing. Let me do the arranged marriage thing. And um, so she said she, she's beaten up with this guy. The family's there and, and her family's there. Um, her family's there. His family's there. The guy's there. And, She's breaking down the whole scenario. And um, um, she says, she turns to her dad and said, the whole family have to be there whilst we're talking. And her dad turned to her and said, listen, you've tried it your way and it hasn't worked. Why don't you let me try it this way? And if we didn't work this way, then whatever. But you've tried your way. Uh, now let's try my way. This year, I've had some plans. There were some things that I was looking to do this year that um, just haven't worked out. And I don't think that it was God's um, design necessarily for COVID-19. I don't feel like God sent it, but I feel like it's here now. And I feel like plans have changed and plans aren't the same. But, and, and God's allowed us to be in this time for whatever reason he's allowed it to us to be in and now our plans have changed um and things that we wanted to do may not have been able to work out in the way that we wanted to work out um but god's saying i know that you haven't had all the plans that you wanted to work out but you, you've tried to plan your life for yourself and you've tried to do various things you've tried it your way but maybe god's saying to us this afternoon how about you try it my way there's a bit of space and time that you have in this space, this time of isolation, where you've got a bit more time, why don't you try and get some extra oil? In this time that you have, um, why don't you work on your talents? And in this time that you have, in the power of the extra oil, in the blessing of the extra talents that the extra oil comes with, why don't you try and be a blessing to others? And if you do that, I'll help you grow through the crisis. This afternoon, if it's your desire 
Not to be stagnant. Not to be on the wrong side of Bible prophecy. Not to be that person that just living for now but not preparing for the future doesn't have any extra oil. Not to be that person who um, has got other things to do and just using my talents just puts them in the sand. Don't want to be that person. And not to be that person who's just thinking about themselves in the crisis, but actually thinking, what can I do to help my neighbors? What can I do to help the elderly in my church? What can I do? And I know it's a time of social distancing, but if I ask for oil and get creative with my talents, I can figure something out to be a blessing. And if you want to be that person who fulfills the signs of the times in Matthew chapter 25 in the right way, I want to pray with you. And as we pray, I want you to be thinking about making time to get some extra oil. Thinking about how God can help you to do the best in the circumstance that you're in and to grow what he's given you. And to think about how you can be a blessing for others. Dear Heavenly Father, at this moment in time, we thank you for your love, your kindness and your mercy towards us. And whilst we were sinners, you sent your son down to die for us. Help us, Lord, to grow in you and to grow through the crisis. Not in our own strength, but in the power of the Spirit. So many people, dear Heavenly Father, are thinking about themselves in this crisis and thinking about being safe and thinking about their families. But when I think about Jesus Christ, dear Lord, he didn't think about his safety. He he, he took necessary precautions, I'm sure, and he would have done in this day and age. But dear Heavenly Father, he, he came to be a sacrifice to, for the benefit of humanity. And whilst everybody was thinking about themselves, dear Heavenly Father, he was thinking about others. Help us to take on the, the thoughts and the feelings. Help us through the power of the Spirit to reflect Jesus Christ, even in this time of social distancing. Help us, guide us, and lead us to be a blessing to others. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.